Welcome to the Impact Church Podcast, and thank you so much for joining us as we seek to establish Christ followers who live in obedience to God's Word and make an impact in their community and the world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, Pastor Brad continues in his sermon series called Return and Rebuild, speaking about what it looks like to live a life sold out and ready for Jesus Christ. Are you ready to make an impact for Christ? The time is now. Welcome to Impact Church this week here and we're continuing in our sermon series in Ezra. So this week, going through chapter 7, and of course we're not going to read the whole thing, but um, we'll be in Ezra for four more weeks, including this Sunday. And then uh, this sermon series will be closed, and then we'll probably start uh, on Memorial Day weekend a Psalms of Summer series. We'll be going through um, different psalms through the summer and and in through uh, Labor Day weekend. And so uh, be looking forward to that. It's going to be a great sermon series as well. But today, chapter 7, we know we just finished seeing the Israelites go back into Jerusalem and rebuild the temple right? And that was completed there in chapter 6. So now we go into chapter 7, and we're going to see that there's a a time period delay here. There's something, a bunch of things took place, and now this new guy was going to come on the scene to help move the people of the Lord. And we're going to see that here today. So the title of our message today is Committed to the Word, Sold Out and Ready. Because we're going to see this person that comes on the scene is actually the author of this book. It's going to be Ezra. Go figure. You wrote the book and your name doesn't show up till chapter 7, right? Pretty, pretty different. But what we're going to see is Ezra come on and he's got a new mission. He's got a different mission. The temple's built, but now he's going to come back to rebuild people. So he's going to come back with a renewal of their commitment to the Word of God for them to be sold out and ready for what's ahead, for them to move in the way of the Lord. So I want to open this up with getting you thinking about maybe you're going to get set on a mission. You're going to go on this journey. You're going to go on this trip, this very specific mission, and you're going to have to go behind enemy lines. You're going into enemy territory where there's dangers. There's going to be explosives, landmines, There's going to be tripwires. There's going to be covered trap holes and pits for you to fall into with stakes at the bottom to hurt you and destroy you. It's pretty nasty to think about, right? And they're not going to be obvious where all these dangers are. They're not just going to have a flashing sign or it's not going to just be the the landmine sticking out of the dirt. They're going to be covered. They're going to be deceptive. You don't know they're there. So you could very easily step on them. And one wrong step could destroy your life. So I want you to envision that you're about to go on this mission and how dangerous that it's going to be. So you're not only going to need to watch where you're going, you're going to need to watch where and how you take every single step you start to feel the intensity a little bit but there's some good news you're going to be given a map of the entire area and it's going to lay out where every single spot is where there's a trap where there's an explosive where there's a tripwire 
And it's going to give you the directions through it to navigate you through and around these obstacles that will destroy your life so that you can complete the mission and get to the other side. So it's going to tell you steps and direction. So there's power in this map for you. Yeah, there may be some anxiety. There may be some apprehension about things ahead. But this map will give you hope. This map will give you assurance because it provides direction. It provides everything you need to get through. So now, here's the question. What are you going to do with this map? You going to use it? Or are you going to ignore it? Say, ah. See, because here's the thing. If you don't use it, either you think the journey isn't that bad and the person who told you about this missing is just pulling your leg and, ah, it ain't that bad. It's all right. Or you just, maybe you think the map ain't right. So you don't use it. So, what would you do? And then when you think about it, you've seen others that have taken this journey and they've used this same map. And the ones that took this journey and did not use the map, it didn't end so well for them. But the ones that did take this journey and adhered to this map, they made it to the other side. So when you see that and you know that, what will you do with it? Will you take it and just set it on the coffee table, let it collect dust and never pick it up? Will you take it and maybe you look at it a little bit, maybe once at the beginning of the week, let's say on Sunday for about an hour, never worry about it the rest of the week? Maybe you'll look at it a little bit, pay attention to it some, but not all the time. Maybe you'll study it and even learn it. Maybe even memorize some of it, but you don't do what it says. What will you do with that map? I promise you, if you were really about to walk out this tent and take that mission, and you knew that there was danger ahead and there was landmines and traps, you would look at that map with every single step you take, every single day, every single moment. I know you would. Ladies and gentlemen, we're on a journey, a mission called life. And we're having to go behind enemy lines because there's an enemy a lowercase g, God of this world that's in control. And we don't have human understanding on our own and, and, and through our flesh and through our own sinful desires to make it to the other side on our own. And plus, if that wasn't enough, our enemy has set explosives in our path. Call them addictions. He's set tripwires up. Call it the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes. The pride of life, selfishness, and then there's pits, there's these traps that we can fall into if we're not careful and we give in to the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, and, and there's greed, materialism, sexual immorality, and there's these traps, these things that we'll fall into if we don't pay attention to the map. You see, if we were really on a dangerous mission where we had a chance at dying with every step of the way, we would adhere to the map, wouldn't we? But somehow, some way, we look at this 
journey, this mission that we're all on called life, and we know there's dangers ahead, and, and God has given us a map that has power in it because it has hope. It has assurance. It has direction. And we know that the people that have not followed this, it didn't go well for them in the past. And we know that the people that have, that they've made it to the other side. So why wouldn't you and I look at this to make every single step? You see, that's what Ezra is coming to the Israelites to do. Say, hey, wake up. You're not following the map. You've got to be committed to the word. You've got to be sold out to it so that you're ready for everything that's ahead, for everything good that God has in store for you so you don't miss out on it, and so you can avoid everything bad that your enemy wants to trip you up and make you stumble in. Here's the map. So now, what will you and I do with this? Just look at it on Sunday. Or will this now be a guide to our every step of our life as we become committed to the word so that we're sold out and ready for Jesus? Let me pray for us before we dive in. Dear Lord, we love you. Father, we thank you for Jesus. Lord, we thank you, Father, for who you are. Lord, that you are God, that you are sovereign, that you are in control And, Lord, that you and your plan cannot be thwarted. Lord, that you, God, cannot be fooled. You will not be mocked. Lord, that you are the searcher of hearts. That although that people have a persona on the outside and a smooth tongue that sways and persuades, Lord, if you know hearts. So, Lord, would you search our hearts? Lord, we want to know today, are we following your map? As we seek you in your word today through Ezra, Father, and we hear this man's call to your people to be committed to the word, Lord, can we hear your voice in that today? And can we ask ourselves, are we really following the map every day? Or are we just following parts of it that work for us and that are convenient for us and ignore the parts that we don't like. But Lord, whether we ignore it or not, the traps, the landmines, the explosives that are set before us are still real. So Lord, I pray, Father, that you would speak through your word today, that you would change hearts and minds, that we could come out of here moved by your spirit, more committed to your words, that we're sold out and ready for everything that you have in this mission, in this journey, behind enemy lines, to preach the gospel to stand for Jesus, to stand for your word in a world that's going the opposite direction. Father, would you come and move in us like only you can do, and we're going to praise you in advance for everything that you do in our hearts, our lives, our families, and in this community. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you have a copy of God's word today, you can turn with me to the book of Ezra. And as I alluded to, we are in chapter 7. But we will not read the whole chapter. I will not keep you here that long, right? But we're going to start. We're going to just catch verse 1, just kind of so we see Ezra kind of come on the scene. And then we're going to read verses 6 through 10 today, all right, as our teaching passage. So Ezra chapter 7, verse 1 says this. says, now after these things, after what things? 
after everything we just read in chapters one through six, right? All the trouble they had coming back, rebuilding the temple, all that. We've just talked about it for three months. So after these things, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Sariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, and all the other verses are going to keep going there. I want you to see Ezra come on the scene, and there's just going to be this genealogy that's given. Here's the purpose of that. If you look down into the end of verse 5, I'm not going to read all these verses because I'll just jack all them names up. You know what I'm saying? So, but if you go down to the end of verse 5, it says, the son of Aaron, the chief priest. Oh, he's got some pretty good genes in there, doesn't he? Coming from Aaron, this is Aaron, the chief priest. You know, remember, went with Moses, right, to, to let my people go and all that stuff. Remember that? This is where, this is the genealogy of how Ezra has come in. So here he is coming up on the scene here with a mission. A mission that you think would, he'd be a little late. Like, bro, we built the temple, man. Why are you here? <laughs> right? So here he comes, and let's see what God is leading him to do. Pick it up in verse 6. This Ezra came up from Babylon, and he was a skilled scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. So he's a scribe in God's word. The king granted him all his requests according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. Oh, that's huge. Some of the children of Israel, the priests, the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the Nethinim, came up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. On the first day of the first month, he began his journey from Babylon. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem according to the good hand of his God upon him, says it twice. Verse 10, for Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. You better highlight that in your Bible. He had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. Not just seek it. Oh, it, it continues. Ready? And to do it. And to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. So Ezra's come on the scene now. And what we need to know is between chapters 6 and 7 is more than just the quarter inch in your Bible. All right? There's 60 years that take place between chapter 6 and chapter 7 of Ezra. All right? The ruler at the end of this period we just see was Artaxerxes. He's the successor to Xerxes, or Ahasuerus, okay, which was the king who married Esther. So the events of the book of Esther actually take place between chapter 6 and chapter 7 in Ezra. So you could go back and you can read Esther and know some of what's happened in this gap, all right? So what we have here, we know we've got this 70-year period of captivity, all right, where the Israelites are in captivity in Babylon because of sin. They wouldn't adhere to the word of the Lord through the prophets, so they paid the penalty, and they were in captivity. God's calling them back. So now between chapters 1 and 6, there's this some 23-year period. 
while they go through this process of resistance and building the temple and, and everything that we've talked about, now between chapter 6 and 7, 60 years, now through the rest of the book from chapter 7 through 10, it's going to happen in somewhere around a one-year period. It's going to happen pretty quick, all right? So I want you to see the timeline of this. So Ezra finally comes on the scene here around 458 B.C., all right? So Ezra's kind of like a blister, right? He shows up when the work's done. And I'm sure he heard it. He'd be like, oh, why are you coming from Babylon now? We done gone through all this persecution, been resisted by all these people, went through all the work of building this, te this temple, and now you show up? Come on, man. Don't, don't you know he heard that? Why are you here now? We don't need you right? We're done. Oh, no, we ain't. You see, because God has set Ezra on a different mission. Ezra, known as by, by some and theologians as the second Moses, he didn't come for a building. He come to rebuild people according to God's word. And that's our message today. Will we rebuild ourselves on that solid rock foundation of Jesus and his word? Will we? Are we committed to the word so that we can be sold out and ready? Will we have the map? And will we follow the map? Not just look at it, not just memorize it, because that doesn't do any good if you don't do it. Does that make sense? I hope it really makes sense now. It's great that you learn it, know it, memorize it, maybe even teach a Bible study and know it. But if you don't do it, what have you done? Nothing. Not a thing. So Ezra comes on here to rebuild people. Say, hey, yeah, I know you got that temple built, that building. That's not what this whole journey is about. It's about getting your life and your heart set on God's word. Are you ready? And that's his voice that he's coming with. So at Jerusalem, near this time, we know that Malachi prophesies some about 25 to 30 years after. Malachi prophesies somewhere around 430 B.C. So if you read the book of Malachi, you know the condition of the heart of the people around that time, right? That, remember all that? Where God had to say, you're robbing me. Tell you how, how are we robbing you? My tithes and offerings, man, you're stealing from me. And all the things that, that God spoke through Malachi to the people that they were doing wrong and that they needed to get their heart set back on God and his word. So here comes Ezra, even before Malachi, committed, trying to commit them to the word. So verse 6 tells us that he was a scribe. So for the Jewish culture of that day, a scribe was an expert in the law, all right? similar to what a, a trained lawyer would be. So he's like a trained lawyer in the Word of God. He knows it. He's studied it, okay? So he is a messenger from the Lord from the Torah at the time. So we know we got the Torah, which is the five books of the Old Testament, the first five books. You got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So he knew God's Word and how to call these people back. Some of the historians and theologians said that he likely had most of it memorized so that you could just go ask him. He's like a walking Google of the day, right? Hey, what, what's this say, Ezra? Blah, 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 right? So he knew. It was like who you went to to gain information was a scribe. And here's Ezra coming in with this knowledge of God's word. So we know this dude was smart, and that's a plus, because it's great to have knowledge of God's word. Did you know that? It really is. Because it should 
change your heart if you adhere to it and surrender to it. But we know that just knowledge of the scriptures by itself, although it's a plus, does not define a man or a woman of God. Did you know that? I'm going to say that again. Knowledge of the scriptures by itself and being able to counsel, being able to teach, being able to say what it says, does not define you or me as a man or a woman of God by itself. It does not. It does not. I went to secular universities and took survey of Old Testament courses where there was professors very knowledgeable in the scriptures, but they were not a man of God because they didn't know Jesus. Their heart wasn't right. They had some great head knowledge, but the hand of the Lord wasn't on them because their heart wasn't surrendered to him. So we have Ezra come in here full of knowledge. How do we know he's God's man? Because the Bible tells me so. Because <laughs> twice here in this passage, it says the hand of the Lord God was upon him. Because if you read the rest of chapter 7, which you can do later and we won't do, you're going to see Artaxerxes give a letter to Ezra and say, hey man, we're going to make all this happen for you. Why? Because the hand of God is on you and he's already stirred in my heart to make a way for you. That is the definition of a man or a woman of God. Yes, knowledgeable in the word, able to teach and, and, and give an answer for the hope that was in you. But do you have the hand of the Lord God upon you? You'll know it by their fruits. Amen. Come on. Right? You'll know it by their fruits. If their fruits ain't right, their heart ain't right. Plain and simple. You can chalk it up. I don't care how much they know. I don't care how long they've been in ministry. I don't care how many degrees they have behind their name. If the fruit isn't there, the heart isn't there. You can be guaranteed of that, and that's the Bible. That's not my word. So Ezra has the heart behind the knowledge because God's hand is upon him, because God knows his heart. God knows his heart, and he's going to use this man as a vessel. God wants to use us as a vessel. If we get our heart right, he wants to move in us through his word to reach other people, to do a work that we can't do on our own. He set Ezra out here on this mission. So we know the hand of the Lord was upon him, and we've seen that through this whole uh, book of Ezra as God was stirring and even moving the hearts of kings and such to make a way, stuff only God can do. Verse 7 tells us a group of people come with him. We know that this was the, the second movement, the second group out of Babylon. The first one came with Zerubbabel, remember? And they built the temple. So now we've got him. We've got Ezra coming with these people. Later will be uh, Nehemiah to, to do the walls of the city. All right, so here we are in this second one. And it takes him some four to five months. Did you catch that? To get there. Long journey. Got to stay committed. It's not easy. So many times we think that the journey, the mission that God has set us on is going to just be a piece of cake. It's going to be easy. He had to go out of his way to get there. The journey from Babylon to Jerusalem was usually around 500 miles, but most travelers would have to go 900 miles to get there. They would have to go northwest along the Euphrates River and then come south into Jerusalem. They had to be committed to the journey. Are you and I committed to the journey that God has us on? It's not going to be easy. It's going to take some effort on our part, some commitment, some surrender. Are you ready for that journey? Because God's got a mission if we'll complete it, if we'll stay surrendered to him. He's going to use Ezra because he knows Ezra's heart. Ezra proves that he's committed, taking this journey with these people right here to call God's people back to the word. 
So verse 6, obviously we know that, there's a, that he's a scribe and we know that their, their influence and their importance now. And we might say that a scribe would have three duties then. Preserve the word of God, learn the word of God, and administer the word of God. All right? And when we're talking about administering the word of God, we're looking at interpreting God's word, teaching God's word, and living it out. Those are all very important. So, there's a threefold intention in, uh, in Ezra here that we're going to see in verse 10. So, let's look at that one more time. Verse 10 said, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, to do it, and to teach it. So, seek it, do it, teach it. So, in this word, we now have a word from God on how we can be committed to his word, that we can be sold out and ready, that we could take this map on the mission, the dangerous mission behind enemy lines that God has set us all on so that we can be committed, so that we could make an impact for Christ, like we talk about every single week here. So, this threefold mission has intention. And it's essential for anyone who wants to make an impact on others to the Word of God. Everybody. Moms, dads, teachers, coaches, everybody. Pastors, people at work, people where you go to school, people who you play ball with, people who you run into at Walmart, you name it. Do they see a difference in you? Do they see Christ in you? All right? I want you to think about that. Are you committed to God's Word like that? So the first one, when we look at it, we're going to get these three ways that we can be committed and sold out and ready for God and his word. The first one is to seek it, all right? It's to seek it. How do we do that? I want to tell you right now, on your own, without the Holy Spirit of God moving in you, you and I will not seek God's word on our own. We will not do it. You don't have the strength, the power, the ability to do that, and neither do I. It takes the Spirit of God in us. Romans 3 tells us that. Even Paul speaking, it says, man, no one's righteous. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned away. In our own depravity, left to our own ways, we don't seek God or his word. The Spirit of the Lord has to move upon us. He moves upon us through the presentation of his word, through his Spirit speaking. And inside of that, that then moves in us to seek him further. Does that make sense? Nobody just left on their own says, you know, I really need to read the Bible. It just doesn't happen that way. I wonder what the Bible says I should do about this. That doesn't happen. It happens when God's word is presented and the spirit of the Lord moves upon our hearts and our minds. And then we have inside of that the choice like they did to disobey or obey. Right? And somebody would say, well, you don't know. No, 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 no. You do have a choice to disobey or obey. Think about why were the Israelites in captivity for 70 years? Because they chose to disobey the word of God that was being presented to them, right? They chose it. God called them back. They disobeyed. They chose disobedience, and they paid the consequences. How about you and me? It's no different. God presents his word every week here at Impact Church. Do you just listen to it, or do you apply it? Has it changed you? Do you seek his word? Ezra had set in his heart to seek his word, and he was going back to call the people to seek it. We know Jeremiah 29, 13 says, Seek me, and you will find me, God says. 
We know all through scripture it says that. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. Even James tells us, if any of you lack wisdom, what should you do? Ask from the Lord who does what? Gives generously <laughs> without finding fault. <laughs> but do we seek wisdom from the Lord like we should? Or do we ignore it? Set it aside. That's why it's so important, guys, that we learn God's word. That's part of what Ezra had done. It's part of seeking God and his word. It's in the spirit moves. Take it and move on it and learn it and, and, and know what God's word says. We have, we have such a, a weak culture of Christianity today because nobody studies and reads their Bible anymore. We, we, we get on the, the little podcast and hear our favorite fancy preacher who's probably preaching a fluff gospel and we think we've done enough. When we haven't really sought the whole word of God for ourselves in the struggles and the landmines that we're facing. And then we wonder why we trip and fall in the pit. And then we cry to God, why'd you put me on this mission? Why'd you put this here in the way? I told you where it was going to be and how to miss it but you didn't listen. Man, every day that's like that. I mean, that's why it's so important to learn God's word. And man, I could stand up here and wear myself out at the million ways that there's false gospels in this world. I mean, I could wear myself out telling you about every teacher, every preacher that's wrong, that has a false gospel. And they say, I could do that. We've done some of that in our false um, teacher series back in counterculture if you were here but I can't do that every single week and every time a new one pops up bring it up bring the I'd kill myself so what should I do then what should we do we should know the real word of God so that then we know if something's jacked up about the way somebody else presents it great analogy here is I could teach you all the ways that they make a counterfeit $100 bill right? Or I could teach you what a real one looks like. Don't tell my wife and kids I have this, by the way. They'll take it, all right? <laughs> but I could teach you that this is a real one, and this is what a real one looks like. It's got a watermark image that when you hold it up, it's got a picture of old Ben sitting over here on the right-hand side. It's got, it's got this flashy little ink on the 100 in the corner. And that when you wiggle it back and forth, it goes from green to gold. And if it doesn't have that, it's not real. I could tell you that there's a, a security line in here. And again, when you hold it up, you can see it says USA 100, USA 100. And then there's something called UV light you can put this under. And this line over here on a $100 bill will, will glow pink or red. And I could show you that this is what a real one's like. And anything that you see or here that's different than this you don't have to guess anymore whether it's wrong do you know that though about this do you know do you know enough about this that's why people are so easily swayed by false doctrine and, and ear-tickling preaching because they don't know the whole word of God here's the danger in that if you don't know the whole word of God you don't really know who Jesus is you don't because then you're susceptible to learn about a Jesus that really doesn't exist through somebody else's false teaching. That's the danger, guys. That's why we must be a seeker of his word. The next one he said is to do it. I'm not just going to seek it, learn it, know it, memorize it. I'm going to do it. Ezra had said in his heart that I'm going to apply God's word. I'm going to live it out. 
Again, we do not have the power to do that on our own. That is only done through the Spirit of God in us. As we surrender our will to his will, that is salvation and that is sanctification. Have you surrendered your will to his? Have you surrendered your heart, your life to his? Surrendered your plan to his? Ezra had done that. He had set in his heart to do it. That's obedience. And man, that, that's, like a, that's like a curse word in the world today. You tell somebody to obey God's word, they're like, oh, you legalistic. Y'all legalistic church over there. Talk about that obedience stuff. What? Boy, so many people are deceived with a false gospel to, to, to think that, but they really do. There's people out there that think that if you put a press upon them, you need to obey God's word. Boy, they, they just bow up. They get mad. Why? Maybe they should examine themselves and see if they're really of the faith. Maybe they've believed in a Jesus that they've made up in their mind and their heart through a false gospel that really doesn't exist because they don't know all of God's word. Man, we need to obey it to do it, and it's only done through the Spirit of God in us. So many scriptures I could go to to point that out, but the most beautiful one I think is James chapter 1, verses 21 through 25. I'm going to read it out of the NIV. It says, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. It's that map, by the way. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, not legalism, it gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. I can't say it any better than that. That's God's word. We fool ourselves if we just listen to his word and, and memorize his word, but never do it. First John 2 and verse 4 says it has to be lived out, not only known. First John 2 and verse 4 says the man that says, I know him, meaning I know God, but does not do what he commands, that's obedience, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. That is a very powerful verse of scripture that God used to get a hold of my heart one day years ago. He said, Brad, you may be fooling everybody else, but you ain't fooling me, son. How about you? Are you fooling everybody around you? Maybe even fooling yourself, but you ain't fooling God. Are you walking according to his word? It only happens through the Spirit of God in you as you surrender to him and his will. Have you done that? If you haven't done that, if you've just shed a few tears at an altar, said a few magic word prayer, and you think that was good enough, but there's never been a heartfelt life change in you through the Spirit of God living in you, then maybe you need to get it right today. Don't wait any longer. God wants to move in you and give you a, a new heart, put his spirit in you, and give you a desire to follow his word. That's Ezekiel. That's God's word. Number three, Ezra said, I'm not only going to seek it, I'm not only going to do it, I'm going to teach it. I'm going to be about it. And I'm going to make sure everybody else knows about it. Is that your commitment? 
Man, so many times that's hard for us because we don't think we're smart enough. We don't think we know enough of God's word. That's the enemy trying to, trying to keep us from shining the light of Christ out. Let me tell you what, you don't have to have a PhD. You don't have to have a stage and a mic to tell people about Jesus. You know what you have to have? The spirit of God in you, living out of you. That's it. It's all you need. Because so many times it's not about the words you say. It's about the life you live that tells other about Jesus. Just live it out. Let the Spirit of God work through you. And then he'll give you the words at the right time, the Bible says, to, to, to make it known. And that goes back to what we talked about at first. It is important for us to know God's word so that we are prepared to give an answer for the hope that's within us when the time comes. You see how all this wraps together? Man, it's just beautiful. Everyone needs to be prepared. So why all this? Why all this commitment? Why is it necessary? Let me read Ephesians to you. We went through the book of Ephesians earlier in this church and expositionally went through it. And we know the first three chapters of Ephesians tells us about who we are in Christ and who Christ is. The last three chapters of Ephesians tells us how to live the Christian life. Obedience. <laughs> what it should look like. How it fleshes out. Man, I, I love one of the Christian rap artist got a song that talks about Ephesians. It says, man, I keep reading Ephesians because if it's Christ we believe in, we shouldn't be confused with the heathens. That's pretty good. And that's what Ephesians is about. So let's read chapter 5. I'm going to read the first 16 verses in chapter 5. And I just want you to hear God's word put in front of you about what it looks like, why, to, to seek it, to do it, to teach it, to live it out. What does that look like? It says, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. Oh, there's a call, isn't it? And walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanliness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as it is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, that's cursing, coarse talk, which is not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Mm. Four, ain't done yet. Verse eight, we're only halfway through. Already getting toes all stepped up on, you know what I'm saying? For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Do you ever really think about that, Lord? What's acceptable to you? What should I be doing in this situation? What's acceptable to you? What pleases you? What honors you? What glorifies you? And have no fellowship with the unfruitful, unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore he says, awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, 
redeeming the time because the days are evil. You could probably already guess that Paul was not a megachurch pastor. <laughs> preaching like that everywhere he went. Man, he wasn't preaching no fluff gospel. Where do these pastors get that stuff from? How did they even come up with that stuff? Every time I read my Bible, it points people to obedience and surrender and not living by the flesh and honoring God in all our walk. How can you preach anything else and preach the Bible? Man, it's just, it's just right there. And it's very humbling because what does it do? It points to our own depravity, that he is God and we're not. And we need to surrender to him and his word and, and walk according to his map so that we don't have the wrath of God fall upon us even after experiencing all the pain and destruction from the enemy while on this earth. What a shameful life to experience all the pain and hurt and, and, and torture of, of our enemy and our flesh and the things of this world and, and the loneliness and the emptiness inside to experience all that our whole life. And then because we didn't surrender ourselves to God, now we spend eternity in a place called hell with the weeping and gnashing of teeth. We're screaming in, in isolation and in pain and nobody can hear you. You're not just hanging out with the boys, throwing down a few cold ones in hell. You are in pain, isolation, torture for eternity. What a sad life to go through all that on earth and all that for eternity just because you wouldn't surrender your pride and your heart to Jesus. Won't you do it? 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All scriptures God breathed, and it's useful for what? Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. In what? Righteousness. So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It's to sanctify us. Man, that's the beautifulness of God's word. And, and even Jesus said that in John 17. He says, sanctify them through the truth. For thy word is truth. That's beautiful. Sanctify them. Set them apart. Move in their heart through your word. He says, he sent them. And then Jesus said, I sent them into the world. Man, do you get that? God is wanting to send us into the world saturated with his word to be sanctified so that we're his ambassadors, so we're his representatives. And that's what God's called us to do. We know that his word is, is sharper than a two-edged sword. It's able to, to pierce the marrow. And man, it, man, it hurts sometimes. Man, but, it, but it, it gives life for those that will surrender and live by it and surrender their hearts and lives to Jesus. Man, that's... Every time, every time I get up here, man, my prayer is, Lord, help me represent you well. Help me represent your word well. Help me to, to preach this with, with passion in, in a way that the word of God comes alive to people. And, 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 if I, and if I don't do that, I feel like I've failed because that's been my prayers. Like, Lord, do that. I want the word of God to just jump off the page and, and just come to life for everybody. Because I believe it gives life. I believe it changes hearts. And I believe some people, unfortunately, like Paul told Timothy, there's going to come a time where people don't want sound doctrine, though, and they're going to run to the teachers that tickle their ears. And it breaks my heart, but it happens. Man, but I'm, I just know like Jeremiah in 15, he says, your words came to me and I ate them. Oh, come on. <laughs> your word came to me and I ate them. He says, they were my joy and they were my heart's delight, for I, Lord God Almighty, bear your name. 
Oh, is that your heart's desire? I, Lord God Almighty, bear your name so when your word comes to me, I want to eat them. You can picture yourself then like the cookie monster. Y'all remember that dude, right? It was like, oh, cookies, we love cookies. That's what you should do when God's word comes to you, man. Don't run from it. Don't try to push it away. I'm like, I don't believe it. You should want to receive it and, and, and let it give you life and let it be joy in your heart. That's what Jeremiah said. Beautiful picture. Man, I wonder what would happen if we took the word of God like that and we shared it like that. We shared it with our spouse. We shared it with our kids. Kids shared it with their teammates, their classmates. We shared it with our coworkers. We shared it with each other. And we shared it in our community like that. What, what would happen in Forest, Virginia in a year's time if every single one of us shared and stood on God's word like that and were excited about God's word? What could he do? He could change our community is what he could do. He could change our world for those that would listen and we know not everybody will but it's still our call to live it out to stand on it and be excited about it it's the life manual it's your instruction guide it's your map for the dangerous mission behind enemy lines why wouldn't you follow it every single day God's given us general revelation in Scripture. He tells us that in Romans 1 and 2 through creation and through setting, writing it in our hearts that we will, will kind of just see and know who God is ultimately. But then he gives spe special, specific revelation through divine revelation. And that's through Jesus and his word. That's where it's so important for us to be students of the word and to do the word and to live it out. Because then, man, we know who Jesus is and what his word says. Jesus even taught that scripture reveals who he is. That's why you cannot separate Christ from his word. You just can't do it. He is just as much the author of the Old Testament as he is the New Testament and the red letters in it. Did you know that? Do you believe that? John chapter 1 says that. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. Verse 14 there says the word became flesh, dwelt among us. He is God. He is the author of, of all creation. He's the firstborn of all creation, Paul told Colossians, and that he is the image of the invisible God. And scripture reveals to us who he is. So Ezra had said in his heart on the word of God, he had resolved in his mind, in his heart, that he was gonna be about the word and do it. How about you and me? Well, we set in our heart and resolve in our heart that you and I, we're gonna be about the word and we're gonna do it. And we're going to live by it. We're going to surrender to God's authority so that he can move in us. Ezra said, I want my life built around the word and not the world. There's a big difference. How about you? Will you resolve in your heart to have your life built around the word or the world? Jesus said, those who love the world and all that's in it, the love of the Father is not in them. Ezra sets out to tell the Israelites the same thing. Hey, great, you built you a building. Now rebuild your heart. Now rebuild your life. Now let's get serious about God and his word. And the hand of the Lord was on him because of his heart. God wants to show up on your behalf today. Will you surrender your heart and get your heart right before him? 2 Chronicles 16, 9, I'll put it before you again. It's been big on my heart the past couple months. It says this, 
The eyes of the Lord search to and fro throughout the whole earth to prove himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Is your heart loyal to God and his word? If so, he's looking. He's looking for a few good men, a few good women, just like the Marines, right? Because he wants to prove himself strong on your behalf. Will you commit yourself to the map today? We're on a mission behind enemy lines. Make no mistake, there's landmines, explosive tripwires, traps, and pits that we'll fall into if we do not follow this map. God gave it to us, so let's use it. Let's do it, and let's teach it. And then we'll know that we're committed to the word, we're committed to Christ, and then, and only then, will we be sold out and ready for the mission God has us on. Bow your head and let's close our eyes right here. I want to know if there's anyone in here today and maybe you have never, ever surrendered and repented in front of Christ. Maybe you've believed. Maybe you've known. You've heard about. But you've never surrendered today. Will you surrender now? If you're here and maybe you've walked in and out of church doors your whole life and like we've talked about, maybe you have prayed a, a, a couple words, and, but there's never been Romans 10, 9, and 10, a heart that believes and has been justified, that gives change. Would you do that today? Would you just surrender all? It's about coming to Christ, not trying to get your life all cleaned up and right first. You don't have to do that. Romans 5a says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You just come to him. God's going to do the work of getting your life right. Will you just fall down and surrender? And like Thomas did last week, when he put the... The, his hands in the, in the nail pierced side, in, in, in the nail pierced hands and in his side, and he says, my Lord and my God. Will you just cry out to that today? That's surrender. That was a change in Thomas's heart to, hey, I know that you're God and I'm not. And I surrender to your authority. I surrender to your word. I surrender to your lordship. That's salvation. Will you do that today and just come honestly before God and say, I've messed it up and I repent. I want to turn from my sin and turn to you, Lord. Help me, change me, save me. You don't have to do anything else. It's not by works that we receive him. It's by faith because it's a free gift of God because he completed the work at Calvary. Would you receive that today? Would you be covered and washed in the blood that Christ played at Calvary because he wants to set you on your feet and give you a new life? If that's you today and you want to pray to receive him for the first time, I'm going to lead you through a prayer that I want you to speak from your heart to God's heart. And again, the words don't save you. It's not a magic prayer. It's about your heart if you're ready to surrender it. And you're just honestly communicating to God that you're ready to surrender and repent. That's it. Or if you're here today, you say, Brad, man, I've walked with the Lord previously in my life, but lately, man, I've gotten knocked off track. The, the fire that once burned in me, man, for the Lord has grown dim, and man, I, I, I'm hurting. I've been trying to do life on my own, and, and I'm tired, and, and, and I want to come running back to Jesus today and rededicate my life. If that's you, I just invite you to speak to God the same prayer from your heart to God's heart. Surrender and repent and come running back to him. 
So to receive him for the first time or to rededicate right now, just speak to God right here and just say, dear Lord, I admit to you that I'm a sinner and I'm in need of you, my Savior. Lord, I've messed it up. I've fallen short of your glory and I know you're the only way back. So I surrender to you. I repent of my sin, of my own depravity, of my own pride. And I surrender to your lordship and your authority. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross that I could have forgiveness of my sin. That I could be redeemed, restored, renewed. Thank you for sending and raising him from the grave three days later, proving that he is God. And Lord, I want to claim that same victory right now, Lord, in my life. My commitment right now to you, Lord, is you got me. You got me. All of me. I'm surrendering to you so that now every step I take and every breath I make is for your glory alone. Amen. If you prayed that right now and you were just honest with God and you surrendered your heart and your life to him or you rededicated your life and heart back to him and surrender, will you simply, boldly raise your hand and say, Brad, I prayed that prayer. I meant business with God today. I'm running back to him or I'm coming to him for the first time. Amen. If I don't see you, God does. It doesn't matter. Amen. Impact, aren't you thankful for the grace and the mercy of God that just pours himself upon us and our hearts right before him. Praise you, Jesus. Guys, let's take this word. Let's go make an impact for Jesus. Let's be a, a cookie monster for Jesus this week. Amen. Let's take his word. Let's eat it up. Make it be joy to our hearts because I promise you, we live that out and other people are going to see Jesus in us. See you next week as we go into chapter eight of Ezra. Go make an impact for Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. The Lord is truly doing an amazing work and we would love for you to be a part of it. Check out the show notes for links to our website and social media pages. Or if you're ever in the Lynchburg or Forest, Virginia area, please come on by and join us in making an impact for Christ.